Our first lesson comes from Genesis chapter 15, beginning at the seventh verse. And God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know if I will possess it? God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for sure that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired the writing of Genesis chapter 15, and we believe that these words not only had power in the day they were written, but these words have power this day because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for us perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. What can we be certain about? I mean, really, what can we be certain about in an uncertain world? The Dallas Stars are going to the Western Conference Final because they won game seven of the last series in overtime. But here's the amazing thing. The guy who scored the winning goal in overtime, I've never heard of him ever in my life. No one has, because he was a call up from the farm team to replace an injured player. A guy named Yoel Kiviranta, see I don't even know his name, Kiviranta, He's a Finnish undrafted rookie playing in the junior level, gets called up and doesn't just score the game-winning goal. He scores a hat trick, which means three goals in the same game. I can't believe I have to explain a hat trick to y'all. Three goals. And this is a record for the NHL. No rookie has ever scored a hat trick in the first playoff game that they've scored in. 
This guy made history. And in his interview at the end of the game, do you know what he said? I love it. He's been dreaming about this his whole life. It's the first game seven he's ever played. And he says, I really hope they let me play some more. (laughs) I mean, after all that, he's still not certain whether he's even going to dress for tonight's game. And that's the kind of world we live in. We don't have much certainty about anything, do we? No matter how good a week we're having, we're not sure what next week will bring. No matter how competent we feel, we fear deep within us that we're actually incompetent. We have so little certainty in this world. But Genesis chapter 15, if you turn there with me, this is where God shows us what we can be certain about. Here's what Genesis 15 says. It's, it's, it's a miracle text. In this one chapter of scripture, God says to you and me, I am certain about you. I've chosen you. I'm committed to you. I am certain about you. But he doesn't even just say he's certain about us. In the same chapter, he then tells us how we can know for certain that he is certain about us. He's certain about us and we can know with certainty in the deepest core of our being that he is certain about us. And the way he does it in this same chapter is the way he makes covenant. And no one has ever made covenant the way this God makes covenant in chapter 15 of Genesis. See, the first thing we see in Genesis 15 is that God says, I'm certain about you. I'm sure. I I knew what I was doing when I chose you. See, in verse 1, just earlier in the chapter, which I didn't read, in verse 1, God begins by saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. I mean, right there as the chapter begins, he's cutting right into the deepest fear within Abram. Abram's been walking with God these many years, and he's been given amazing promises, but deep within Abram is the fear. Will God continue walking with me any further? Is this the day that God tires of me? Is this the day that God says, Abram, you know, I was sure about you several years ago, but really, I don't know how sure I am anymore. We fear, all of us, that same fear of Abram. That same fear that we will one day be rejected by those who have committed themselves to us. We are all terrified that we will one day be rejected by those who have made a commitment to us. And I think it's even worse in our modern society, whether we're thinking in terms of personal relationships in our homes, work relationships, relationships in our schools, and our neighborhoods. Our deep worry is, will I be rejected by someone who formerly was committed to me? And as I said, it's worse in our modern world because as the sociologist Zygmunt Bauman says in his book, Liquid Love, we're living in a world where relationships are becoming less stable. Relationships are seen more voluntary less permanent, easily abandoned, liquid. I think we probably see that the most clear in this horrible 
modern day reality of ghosting. If you're not familiar with if you're not familiar with what ghosting is, ghosting is this this act of sort of cutting off a relationship. When you come to the place where you figure I'm just done with with you, you just cut off all contact, social media, electronic contact, no more phone calls, no more texts. It's like you just ceased to exist. And it's so prevalent that one of our newspapers uh, sent out a, a, a work saying, would you send us your ghosting stories? And, and they're horrifying to read. This one passed the muster to kind of be okay to put in the pulpit. Jackie in Seattle writes this. One time a guy I was seeing for a few weeks reached out to make plans for the next day. And then I never heard from him again. I reached out to say, no big deal if you're not interested. Just, can I know that you're okay? Or, hey, no big deal. Um, can I just have my parking pass back? Nothing. I was actually checking obituaries, she writes. I ended up running into him on the town a few months later. He closed his bar tab, pretended to be on his phone, and walked out right past me. She says, ghosting has become so common that my goal in dating now is to meet a guy who would actually dump me to my face. This is the world we live in. We are terrified, perhaps even more so, of being rejected by those who said they were committed to us. And it makes it especially hard when we're going through difficult times. Listen to Abraham's complaint. Abram says in verse two and three, the difficult season he's having. This is why he's doubting everything. Verse two and three, Abram says, oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. I mean, God's made a promise to him that he'll build a mighty nation, a promise that Abram, father, will become Abraham, the father of many. But there's no kids yet. I've been walking with you and there's no offspring He goes on further in verse 3 to say, Behold, you've given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. One of the servants in my house is going to have to carry on my name. Because God, it doesn't seem that you're being faithful to the promise you made. What Abram is saying underneath all of this is, is this all, this hardship, a sign that maybe your commitment is waning Maybe, God, your commitment to me is wavering. Like, I get it. If you're having second thoughts about me, I would have second thoughts about me too. But does all this hardship mean that maybe you're rethinking this? And God comes in with clarity in verse four and says to Abram, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. I'm good for the promise I made to you. And then verse five, that wonderful picture, God says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. I am still committed to the promises I made to you, Abram. Even when it seems that everything is going wrong, Abram, I am certain about you. It's why when we come to night prayer, perhaps the most uncertain moment of our day often, everything's cascaded together and we come to night prayer in Compline, there's that amazing prayer. Be present, O merciful Father, through the silent hours of this night 
so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this fleeting world may repose upon your eternal changelessness. Oh God, the world around me seems to constantly be changing, but you have promised that you will not change. You are certain about me. As God says to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. As Jesus says in John 15, you did not choose me. I chose you. God is saying, I'm certain about you. I'm sure in the choice I made. But then it gets even better. God says, and you can know for certain that I'm certain about you. See, in verse 8, Abram says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know? How can I know this? And and at first it sounds almost contradictory because back in verse 6 we're told that Abram believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. You think, so is this now contradictory? Like you believe, but now you don't believe and you want to know? Or is this more like a Mark 9 moment with the father of the paralytic son saying, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? Or perhaps is this Abram truly saying, Lord, I believe, but I want to know it in the core of my being. I I want to believe with a degree of certainty. And and here's the problem we run into is oftentimes when we talk like this, we think, well, no, 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 that's the faith and certainty. They don't go hand in hand. Faith is faith and certainty is certainty and, and they have nothing to do with each other. Right? Faith is ethereal. Faith is walking without knowing and without sight. And there's a huge degree of truth to that. I mean, faith includes doubts, right? We're, we're supposed to have doubts mixed in together. On the evening of the resurrection, the disciples meet together with the risen Lord Jesus, and we're told that they were both doubting and they were full of faith. It, it's mixed together, as uh, Frederick Beekner says, that doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps us awake and moving. But faith is still something that can be strong and can grow and become more and more certain over time. Faith is not blind. Faith is not to be unreasonable. Faith is not static nor weak. Faith is meant to grow. And and, and do you notice that God doesn't get upset with Abram's request? How can I know? He doesn't get upset with his request, oh Lord, I want to know this for certain. God says, I can answer that. You you can bring me that question, how can I know? And I'll answer your question, how can I know? I can build certainty into your life, Abram. I can make your faith even stronger, even more stable. Yes, even more certain. As the preacher in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is to grow. We're to have more and more certainty. It's a good thing for you to pray to God, Lord, give me more certainty in my faith. Monica, this last week, bought me some customized license plates for my truck. And the letters on these customized plates are P, R, the number three, which you can turn around and make it an E. You follow me? A, C, H, R, which 
clearly in license plate language says preacher, right? And you may say, why are you even including this? Isn't that kind of embarrassing? Like who, what preacher needs like customized plates? Well, no preacher needs customized plates, but here's, here's the kind of victory this is. Because we've talked about this over the years, about the idea of customized plates and preacher and things like that. And I've never felt comfortable saying yes to it until this week. And here's the thing, hear me. After 25 years of preaching, I finally have grown just barely into enough certainty that I am a preacher, that I can put preacher on my car. Right? It, it takes time, but certainty grows. We look at our lives, we recognize in time, we actually do grow stronger in what God has given us as a gift of faith. Faith's trajectory is to grow. Like Luke says in the prologue of his gospel, that by reading this gospel, you may have certainty about the things that you've been taught. See, God says, I'm certain about you. And he, and he says, and you can know that with certainty. With a growing degree of certainty, you can know that I'm certain about you. But the question, of course, is how? I mean, how could God, what could God do to convince me and you that he's certain about us and that's never going to change? Like, what could he possibly do that would prove that point so well that to the core of my being, I could say, okay, Lord, I, I, I think I actually can begin to know with certainty that you really are not going to give up on me. Well, see, God makes a covenant with Abram. Verse nine, it's a, it's a strange verse when God, in response to Abram's question, how can I know? God says, go get Verse 9 says, go get a heifer, a female goat, and a ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. You think this is going to be like a Christmas carol. What is that all about? What's all these animals about? Here's the thing. Abram knows exactly what it means. Because immediately in verse 10, without any further instruction, we're told that Abram brings them, cuts them in half, lays them each half over against the other. He, he cuts the animals in half and lays them in a row. And you want to say, what gives? What is this craziness all about? Abram understands that what God is doing is making a covenant with him. You see, in the ancient Near East contracts were not signed, they were acted out. You know, we sign contracts, right? The ancient Near East, fathers and mothers of our faith, they acted them out. It meant there was no need for lawyers because as they acted out the contract, the penalty was so severe. I mean, it, it would scare you into obedience. I mean, put it this way. Okay, the animals in an ancient Near Eastern covenant would be cut in half. The two parties would have made promises to one another, right? I'll do this for you and you do this for me. It's sort of a mutual quid pro quo. You do a bit and I'll do a bit and we're agreement. And then here's this dead runway of animals and each party would then walk between 
the dead animals as part of the acting out the covenant. And in doing so, what they would be saying is, if I do not live up to my end of the covenant, may I be like these animals I am walking between. May I be dead, put to death and killed if I do not live up to my end of the contract. It's very effective, isn't it? It's a mutuality. It's a quid pro quo. It's a let's both scare ourselves into being obedient to this contract. But then something very strange happens. Something you'd never have seen in any covenant in the history of the world. Because in verse 12, two things fall on Abram. He's gotten all ready for this, right? He's like, okay, God has made his promises to me. I need to be faithful to God. Laid out the animals. Of course, Abram's probably thinking to himself, I don't know this is how it's going to help me have any sense that God is certain about me. Because remember, the covenant is both sides. It's quid pro quo. I mean, Abram's still facing the reality. Well, what a, all this covenant's going to show me is if I fail, then I'm dead. That doesn't exactly help me. It's going to scare me into obedience. But how does this really help me? No, something strange happens. Abram gets the whole thing ready. And then in verse 12, two things fall on Abram. First thing falls on Abram is a deep sleep. Boom, he's out. God brings a deep sleep on him, which is specifically Abram being immobilized. Right? God is still speaking. There's still a conversation that goes on. So it's less of a sleep as more of a, a complete immobilization. He's there before the animals, unable to move. How is he going to make covenant? How can he walk between the pieces if he's immobilized? The second thing that falls on Abram is a dread darkness. A dread and bleak darkness falls on him. And some have said maybe that darkness is a foreshadowing of that sojourn in Egypt that's coming, right? To say that, you know, you're, as he says in verse 13 and 14, your ancestors will go in and be slaves for 400 years. But others have said, no, the dread darkness is pointing to a much more horrific reality. Because in verse 17, something unbelievable happens. We're told that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appear. And this smoking fire pot, flaming torch is the exact language that's used in Exodus chapter 19 on Mount Sinai. God comes in fire and smoke on that mountain. In other words, the, the burning, smoking, flaming torch is God's own physical presence right there. And verse 17 then goes on to say, as Abram lays immobilized, the torch and the smoking fire pot walk between the pieces. Abram can't walk. Only God walks. In doing so, what God is saying in this moment is none other than this. Here's my covenant, Abram. If I do not live up to my promises, may I be put to death. And because he's immobilized and doesn't walk, 
If you, Abram, do not live up to your promises, may I be killed. As Walter Brueggemann says, it is a one-sided commitment from God to Abram and exacts no comparable allegiance from Abram to God. It is a commitment of free grace. The entire gospel is in this moment that God walks alone among the pieces. God alone bears the iniquity and the punishment for the broken covenant. I mean, I would tell you, if I could take two chapters of scripture with me alone on a desert island, it would be Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and it would be Genesis chapter 15, the covenant in God. Because do you hear it? 2,000 years later, a dread darkness came down again on a hill just outside Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, we're told that darkness covered the land as Jesus, hanging on the cross, cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, and then he cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. He was bearing our unfaithfulness to the covenant. He was faithful. We were not. How can we be certain that God is certain about us? Because God knew that we would fail. And so here in Genesis 15, already he promises to bear that failure. This is why Paul can speak with, yes, that word certainty in Romans 8 when he says, for I am certain that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could he speak with such certainty? Because he'd seen this covenant lived out before the world in Jesus What can we be certain about? Our second oldest daughter turned 16 this week. As many of you know, she was very sick when she was little. Seven years in and out of children's hospitals. And what I will never forget about that season of life and what makes me a committed Anglican yet today is how I could, in the worst of moments, come to church, often straight from the hospital after a night there, and be carried by a liturgy. A liturgy that does nothing other than rehearse the covenant every time we gather. Right here, in word and in sacrament, 
We rehearse, we act out this covenant again, this one-sided covenant where God walks alone, which means that no matter what's happening in your life, no matter how discouraged you may be, no matter how much you feel like the promises that God has made to you have not yet come true in your life, in my life in those years, I could say whether she lives or whether she dies, God is certain about me. And he's certain about her. And he's certain about you. And we can know it only as we rehearse the covenant again and again. That's where certainty grows as we gather here around his table. Come, friends, to his table. I'm very aware that this is our first Sunday live streaming. And therefore we have many who for a season are not going to be able to come back or have not been able to come back. But hear this from me that when you are able, when you feel it is safe, come to the Father's table. Come, return, so that we can rehearse covenant together. So that we can grow in our certainty that God is certain about us so that we can grow in our certainty he will never leave us or forsake us so that we can grow in our certainty that God will never ghost you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen